Welcome to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram, where we talk all things leadership, change, and transformation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to a conversation of change. Today, um, I'm going to have what I think is going to be a really interesting conversation of change um, with a special guest who, when I first met her and we were seated across each other at a table, she posed the question to me, what would I ever have to do with a change practitioner, which kind of stopped me in my tracks because I was thinking, really? I would have thought your industry had a fair bit of change, which then made me really curious around where are the areas that don't necessarily use change management and what are the implications for that? So not to, to get too far ahead, um, I'm delighted to introduce you to Alice Tay. Alice Tay is a lawyer, a regulator, a non-executive director and uh, a pretty smart lady from all of the work I've been doing with her. Alice, welcome to A Conversation of Change. Thank you, Jennifer. Alice, um, can we start back at the beginning a little bit and tell us about um, how you got into the legal profession. What was your pathway into it? Quite simply, um, all my family come from the medical um, industry and I didn't want to be like them. And so, you know, being a, uh, a good Chinese girl, didn't want to be an engineer either or an accountant, well, Law was the next obvious choice. And so what was that? that yeah, what, what was that journey like? Was it a fairly straightforward? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, finished school, went to law school, got a job, and it's been just a little bit over thirty years that I've been in the profession, and I have had a magical ride absolutely magical when you think about you know certainly in the 90s and the, the 2000s people were talking about glass ceilings um in the in the profession people were talking about the profession not being um accommodating or not um being what's the phrase for it uh, meeting the needs of women in particular um, I've been fortunate enough to be in a firm and with partners um, who have always been supportive. Um, there has never been a, a feeling that, oh, well, she can't do this work because she's a woman. Mm -hmm. um, from my partners, uh, from the staff, or even from clients, you know, I've, I've never felt that that barrier of... Um, being prevented from going where I wanted to go just because I was a woman. And, um, you know, you know and, and, and in my firm, we don't make a big fuss about the fact that, um, well, today we have six partners for former women and we have been at a 50-50 uh, split for, I can't think it's been so long, you know, and, yeah. and it's not something that we boast about. It's just something that's that's who we are yeah that's and 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 it's good um very supportive in terms of people 
uh, in terms of staff wanting to take time off um, because of, you know, children activities. It's never been an issue. So I, I think I, I mean, I'm one of those, and I, I admit there are problems in the profession, but I think I've been blessed um, working uh, with this group or being in business with this group of people who think a little bit differently from your traditional, you know, law firm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's quite that's quite fabulous. Now, um, as I alluded to in the introduction, when we first met, we were sitting opposite each other at the table, and you said to me, "What would I ever have to do with a change practitioner?" Um, which I lacked my usual eloquent self in reply. <laughs> it kind of stopped me. Um, can we tease this one out? Can you start by telling me about your experiences with organisational change and the legal profession? My my personal experience, I think the biggest change we made uh, within our firm, well, two, two large changes that we made, and, and I think th- thinking about it a little bit more has been um, organic. One one was uh, not to work in silos, um, and it's quite common for professionals to work in silos, you know, and and have this concept of, hey, that's my client, and I do everything that my client needs, you know, whether it's a, a contract or a litigation or advisory work, I do that work. So we decided a long time ago not to work in silos, and that means sharing our clients in that they're not my clients, they're our clients. Um, The other major thing we did also was to work within industry groups. Now, that's probably quite common for the big city firms, but, you know, we we are in, dare I say, rural Canberra, um, where we we don't have... um, large, large firms, you know, we, we're a firm of 70, 80 people and we are large in, in Canberra, whereas in the big cities, that's a small firm. Um, neither do we have the breadth of work um, that the big city firms do. And so to say that, you know, if I have a piece of work that turns to litigation, not only will I have to send it to a litigation partner, but I have to send it to a litigation partner within that particular industry. Um, and that was pretty pretty scary because at the end of the day, it is, you know, we, we judged on how many hours we've worked, we judge on, you know, what our billings are like, but even that is changing within the industry. And I think the way we overcame that that fear was very much from trusting, mm-hmm. you know, trusting that we will all do the right thing by by each other. Um, and, and that is something that is really, really difficult um, to do, um, but we've, we've managed it. Mm. We're not perfect, but we've certainly managed it. And, and I think that's a big change. And then, you, and of course, you've got little changes like um, I, I run a... Um, what do you call it, an an old paper office, you know, an electronic office. Um, And that's difficult also, especially in a law firm where there's paper everywhere. Uh, Doesn't mean that we don't use paper, but 
you know, um, we we do, but we certainly don't have files. And when you come and visit us, you see I have space allocated for me for for my files, which is empty because we don't have them. Um, and again, that that for us is is major. It's it's interesting because one of the goals for many companies uh, is move to a place where they have an inherent change capability. And one of the goals for many of us as change practitioners are to move organisations to a space where they don't need us. We make ourselves obsolete. And you're describing an environment where change practitioners are obsolete. So you've identified trust as a really big component. Can you take us back to perhaps the the change around the moving outside of silos? Um, Who introduced that and how was it introduced? Um, I don't think it was any one person who introduced it. I think it comes to the issue of culture and how we want it to work. Um, and we are a, um, at that time, we, we were an, um, an equal partnership. So we, we shared equally in, in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we should share equally in work also, you know, and support each other. And, and this issue, that, that, that was really strong in our culture, that we supported each other all the way. And, and, and in, in the legal industry, as in all industries, you have your ups and downs and, you know, some years you do extremely well and other years you don't. And we've always had a really, really supportive culture. And I think that's... That's probably the genesis of how we we came to, you know, to to work outside silos. The other thing also is that the practice of law has become more and more specialised. And to be a really good practitioner, you can be an expert in everything. And so you needed to make a decision as to where you wanted to to be an expert in, you know, and that I think also drove our thinking to to an extent. Okay. The um, in terms of the legal profession, do you see that change is escalating? That you're seeing more change than you've ever seen before, or is it relatively stable in terms of the volume of change coming through? Um, I I, I see change happening. Um, I was talking to a, a client of mine who um, is in the real estate industry and and we were talking, interestingly enough, about change and the changes in the real estate, real estate industry. And he said something really interesting and he says, I see a future in which this concept of having offices will no longer be there mm. uh, and that, you know, people will be doing um, transactions through the internet. Um, and he told me about their offerings. And he said, oh, by the way, Alice, we sold three properties just recently without any human intervention. Wow. And to me, wow, indeed, you know, <laughs> that's amazing. That is yeah. so amazing. And I, I know that they've been using a lot of bot technology, mm-hmm. um, but 
the things that they have been able to do, it's so it, it's just so amazing. And, and we talk about about change, and of course, the question is, um, um, you know, how how do you think it's going to affect your industry? Because all the what, what we call the officers, the, the real estate agents and people who work with them, they're also invested in uh, in their client list, you know, and basically you're moving away from where you've got clusters of agents to individual agents mm-hmm. um, with services supporting them. And that is a big change. And the thing he said to me, which... Uh, just blew me away. He said, well, change is coming and we should back ourselves, um, you know, to be the first. In, I love in that. The, the paradigm, you know, and I yeah. went, whoa, <laughs> that, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at the, um, um, at the motor vehicle industry mm-hmm. where, you know, more and more people now are living in, in flats or in very small houses. You go to work in, using public transport and ever so often you might need a car. Um, or you might be like, you know, the young people of today where they skip jobs every two, three years or maybe every year. Uh, they change things really quickly. And so they, they wouldn't want a car, to buy a car and have a car for the five, ten years that people of our generation do. So maybe they sh- we should be thinking of a subscription model mm-hmm. whereby, you know, you pay a fee and, and that's happening already, you know, and, and that's techno- technology that drives all that, that makes mm-hmm. it possible. Uh, and so I, I'm seeing change happening all around me. Um and as I said, the, the legal industry is going through a huge amount of change. And whether we we acknowledge it or not, or, or it's something that just happens organically will be really, really interesting. You know, mm. the way the way we do our work has changed. Um yeah. I, I remember my first day at, at work where um I was a, a graduate lawyer. Um I had my own office. Not only did I have my own office, I had my own secretary, um, and in, today you'd be lucky if you shared, you know, if you're one or five or six that shared one support system, one, one support assistant. Um, it, it's just sort of changed, you know. I um, We had dictaphones where people had our back and call. All that's gone, you know. We, we're, all, we're all so self-sufficient. Um, the way we deliver services have changed also. Mm-hmm. You know, as I probably five years ago, I would have written you a 10-page advice. Today, I would have sent you an email with five dot points. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's how much it's it's changed. And um and and I think the way we consume the way consumers consume legal services have also changed, you know. L- lawyers are, are no longer held on this high pedestal where their word is law, um, they, they are seen more and more as a, uh, as a business partner yeah. where, you know, you, you sit down and you, you come to um, a resolution or way forward. I shouldn't use the word resolution, but a way forward on a particular project. Um, yeah, so it's, um, 
it's very interesting time for the legal industry and and I don't know whether the legal industry has its eyes open to see what's coming it it has me curious then so you've you've talked about the power of trust and support and a somewhat egalitarian model albeit of people in high status um, as enablers of just being able to respond organically to change. Has that been your experience with the boards that you sit on? So um, I think you'd, you'd mentioned the change that the National Heart Foundation had been through. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think the boards that I sit on um, are mainly not-for-profit boards mm-hmm. and they are... Um, they're quite different. Um, they the the National Heart Foundation is um, the the directors of the National Heart Foundation are independent directors, mm-hmm. and I think when you have that that independence, like we are not we're not the bestest friend ever, and you know we've gone through a rigorous selection. Uh, process to be on the board and we're, we're there to contribute and we all bring you know distinct skills to that board um, as opposed to the the smaller not-for-profits where you're there to do good um, it, it it's it's different it, it's yeah. really, really different mm-hmm. um, the the National Heart Foundation has gone through tremendous change in the last 12 months and we were a, a federated body that comes with all the good and bad things of federated bodies and um, we moved to a unified organisation on the 1st of July this year. So our transformation process took a year um, but not that it was a year from, you know, start go to completion this particular process took a year um we have tried over many many years to be one one organization unsuccessfully and i often thought about what what is it that has made this particular transformation process successful Mm -hmm. and and that i think has a lot to do with first and foremost um the our members wanting wanting it to happen but the other thing also is that um we actually have a transformation team um, and the and the job of the transformation team is basically to go out and talk to all our staff members and our key stakeholders as to what's happening and to bring them along on the journey and also to get feedback um on how they're going and their journey. And I've never really thought about that as a change process. But, of course, that's what change is, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So I've I've lived through that without really understanding what it is. But, of course, that's change. And and it's been a tremendous success, you know, to to be so organised, you know, to have a board that is... um, very supportive of our CEO, um, who is wonderful, and having a CEO who just understands it and puts in the resources to make this happen has just made it a success. Yeah. Um, yeah, and 
and and it's ongoing. You know, it's we we haven't stopped on um, on the first of July, and we anticipate that the change process will will go on for the next at least the next two years while we bear down our people, we bear down our programs and, you know, we, we deliver on our, on our strategy. But it's, it's an exciting journey to be on. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's been massive. And oh, it's huge. To yeah. be so successful in such a short period of time also is, is really impressive. You mentioned the um, CEO supporting the resources do you see him as a, a leader of that transformation or a change leader? Absolutely. Is it a pardon him or her? Big pardon. Oh, it's a him. It's a him. Yeah. It's him. No, 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 no. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think he has been mind you, I haven't spoken to him about this, but I, I think he saw the vision of what he wanted the organization to be. Um, and he drove it that way yes. you know and I think you also have to be very thick-skinned about the decisions that you you make um, to drive a slow moving organization it's like turning a big boat um, and he he was brave enough to say this is the way we need to go the board has said unify and he's been brave enough to do it and I think he's been brave enough to bring in the expertise that he needed to mm. make it happen. And our transformation office, which is essentially two full-time people plus um, <clears throat> staff as we, we needed to come in, that that is a newly created role. Yeah. So we went out and recruited a person um, to do it. And I I think that's that's the best thing we ever did. And, um, you know, I, I often say to my clients who are looking at large projects that they should bring someone in to do it mm -hmm. so that you don't take resources away from your business as usual things. Um, and, and again, you know, that, that's really change, isn't it? And, and yeah. I've never thought of it as change. <laughs> oh, it's, it, it, it's actually, um, you know, these conversations are never scripted and um, it's actually we've got to a really excellent point because you've just answered your question of me in terms of whatever would I do with a change practitioner. Well, you would bring them in to a transformation team. Yeah. But you've also, which I'm very grateful for, highlighted the perils of the language we use. So if I'd said to you that I work in transformation, you probably would have had a, a stronger understanding straight away yeah. as to the work I do. Um, yeah. So, so I thank you for that. That's um, that's a good lesson. Really. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Alice, you we we've met through the upcoming Listen Learn Connect um, uh, China Australia Trade Investment Council trade mission, which you are one of our fearless leaders. Mm -hmm. uh, can you tell me why that's so important to you? Yeah, I um I went to China last year um, with a good friend, and we went to the um, China High Tech Fair in Shenzhen in uh, I think it was in no November. Um, my background, I am uh, um, Malaysian Chinese. Um, we, you know, my parents grew up in 
um, colonial Malaysia. Um, so I'm post-colonial, we speak English at home. And anything that is white is good and anything that is not white is bad. You know, and, and that's the sort of, uh, <laughs> you're laughing, but that's what colonialism does. Um, and, um, and so I, I sort of grew up in, in that, that sort of at, atmosphere where, you know, the white man does things so much better um, than us mere Asians could ever do. And we basically are just copycats, you know, that's, that's the sort of, um, um, I guess, heritage that, mm. that we have. Um, and, um, and even being in Australia, you, you don't think, you don't think very much about China. And, you know, you hear about China, you know, the, um, the economic growth in China and the like, and you've got this vision, or I have this vision of China being, you know, dirty, smelly, squat toilets everywhere. Um, you know, that, that's my, that's my vision of, of China. Um, sure, they do, you know, electronics stuff and factories but they're all not really good and you really need to have white stuff for it to be any good you know and so when when we arrive in uh in Shenzhen the the one thing that really really blew me away was how green it was yeah and how clean it was you know and um it, it was just like hey, am I really in China? Because this is not what I think China should be. You know, and, and this is just little Shenzhen, right? This is not Shanghai or Beijing where we're going to, you know. Um, and it, then I noticed that there were no motorbikes. You know, you've got this vision of Asian cities with motorbikes. There were no motorbikes. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe it's because we're in an innovation district and so therefore there were no motorbikes. But there are no motorbikes. There just isn't any motorbikes. And and Shenzhen, um, being a relatively new city, um, public transport, um, it's all electric. So they use electric cars, electric buses, um, electric bicycles. And there's so much green in it, you know, and, and you always think of Chinese cities as being polluted. It's not. Mm. Um, the, the fair was huge, absolutely huge. Um, and we only spent about, or I only spent about half a day at the fair. But what we also did outside the fair was to visit some of the innovation centers. And we also visited, um, um, a company called HTE. Um, and of course, we wanted to visit some other, um, other companies, but we couldn't because everyone was at the fair, but HTE was large enough. Um, they accommodated us. But the one thing that really blew me away was what they called the now technology that is available, like now, mm -hmm. but not available here. Um, Things like, you know, you can build a house, and, and this is in the public gallery. This isn't even in um, the experimental, you know, what they're working on. You can be, build a house where, where there are no wires, no wiring at all in the walls, no PowerPoints, because everything is controlled um, using your phone 
and it's all Wi-Fi enabled. Wow. Can you imagine that, you know? And you could go in and you could just say, you know, turn your lights on, you know. We think Google Home is amazing, right? <laughs> but they can do so much more, you know. Um, and I sort of said, oh, when is this technology available? Uh, and they said it's available now, but you can't have it. You live in Australia. Um, they have, uh, they were working, they, they were working on, um, so when we were there in November, they were working on 5G technology. And I think by now they would have rolled out uh, 5G technology. They were working on, they were trialing what they call um, wireless charging. So you may have heard that BMW, um, the new electric cars, have this thing that goes down from the car onto special roads that makes contact and then charges the car through that contact point. Okay. In XTE, what they were trialing so this is trialing and they were rolling out in certain parts of Shenzhen is they are charging plates in the road essentially about you know maybe a hundred meters from the um um the stop uh stop lights Mm -hmm. so when you stop there your electric car automatically charges without anything coming down you know and that's now technology how clever I know, and I'm going, why, what, why, why are we not doing it? What, why can't we have it? You know, and they look at me and they said, we, you know, not only are we fiber to the home all across um, China, but we are also going to be 5G very soon. Mm. That's, that is so amazing. So, what what makes what makes China different from here? You know, we we started more or less the same time, um, this down this innovation pathway, and the the um, the fiber to the home, um, their their experience and our experience is quite different. So I asked them, we have difficulties rolling out fiber to the home. How, how did you guys do it? And he just looked at me. He says, the government said we, we will have fiber to the home. And so we had fiber to the home. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the way things happen. Yeah. It's, yeah, and, and, and then you wonder, you know, do, do we need to live in a society like China where you might have watched our foreign correspondent I think it was last week, mm. where they had that social calculator, you know. Yes. Is, are we prepared to, you know. Is that the trade-off? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they, they're really interesting questions. They are. They are. <laughs> Alice, what what will successful change look like to you as a result of the trade the trade mission? I think I would like, I would like us to understand a little bit better um what the chinese mentality is mm-hmm. and how how it is that they manage to do the things that they do money notwithstanding and of course you know they have huge amounts of money that comes from government behind them 
um, we we don't. You know, we we don't have that sort of um, we, we don't have that sort of government. So what 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 can we do? You know, is it is it the Chinese work ethic? Is it the Chinese way of of thinking that um, you know, if it doesn't work this way, let's let's find another way to to do it. If it doesn't work, let's find another way and another way and another way. Yeah. Instead of saying, "Oh, didn't work, fail." I don't know. I I really don't know. But you know, for for an overseas Chinese, I am proud is not the word. Astonished is not the word. Um, blown away. Absolutely. Yeah blown away by what's happening there and I've only been to Shenzhen you know I, I don't even know what's happening in in Shanghai or Beijing or the other cities mm. and it's not just China I don't know what's happening in Korea and I don't know what's happening in Japan so how are we going to compete how is little Australia going to compete and what do we need mm. to be able to compete successfully mm. Uh, I think they're that that that's really powerful questions um, when we're looking at what does change or transformation mean for Australian industry in the future. Um, and we do tend to, you know, we have a very Australian centric view of of our industry. And and I I I think these questions that you're asking are really quite valid. And if we want to future proof. Um, but it's not even future-proofing from a defensive perspective. It's future-proofing from an opportunistic perspective. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's all about opportunities, and yeah. and I think we we should stop thinking about you know. And and again, as as a lawyer, um, we are so risk adverse, yeah. and we don't we don't look at the opportunities in risk. And and this is something that that we need to do. So instead of saying, you know, how like tariffs, for example, you know, instead yep. of saying we we have to protect, we have to protect. Maybe we should be on the offensive. You know, mm -hmm. how 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 do we join? How do we make it better? How do we build a better society at the end of the day? Yeah, indeed. Alice, this has been an excellent chat. Thank you no, so much it. for your time. You. Um, final question to you: uh, How can the listeners help you? What what uh, what would you like of any of the listeners listening in terms of way of thoughts, help, support uh, for your future endeavours? Um, I like listening to different viewpoints. Um, I think that will be really helpful. So, by all means, link with me. Um, through LinkedIn, um, I I do Twitter, but not much. Uh, but you know, certainly exchange of information is really really important. Um, even catching up, you know, whoever you are, to to talk about things because I think through through networking, um, we make ourselves better, we make our businesses better, and we make hopefully make society better, which is what I'm passionate about, to make this world a better place, to make the community I live in a better place. That's wonderful. Thank you, Alice. Thank um, you, listeners. 
Listeners, I will make sure that you will have uh, Alice's contact details in the blog post on drjenfram.com once we get this up there so that you know how to connect with Alice and and share your viewpoints. Um, if, uh, If you're finding these podcasts particularly useful, would really love it if you pop over to iTunes and give the podcast a review. That way more people find them and uh, we get to share insights of the fabulous guests like Alice. Apart from that, uh, look forward to catching up with you on the Twitterverse or in LinkedIn. And until next time, have great conversations of change. You've been listening to a conversation of change with Dr. Jen Fram. You can find many more resources on leading change at my website, drjenfram.com. I welcome feedback on what else you'd like to hear on the podcast. Why not connect with me on Twitter at Jen Fram or LinkedIn? 